Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Awesome. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 9, verse 33. It says, Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all, and servant of all. Then he took a little child, and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, and then it goes on. We are relaunching our series called Letting People See Jesus. We started it a year ago, and we did the first two years of Jesus' ministry last year. And now we're into the last year of Jesus' ministry, and it starts to get quite intense. He's aiming at Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be crucified, and things start picking up the pace. And we're now in this story where Jesus and his disciples are walking to Capernaum, and the disciples are arguing among themselves who will be the greatest. And so you can imagine Matthew saying, I used to be a tax collector. I dealt with lots of money. I'm the greatest because I've got business skills. And Peter says, hey, I own my own boat business. I'm also business skills. And then Thomas says, hey, I'm the doubting, more even-minded one. I'll be the greatest because I can manage things. And Simon the Zealot says, no, 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 I'm the political guy. I can gather a crowd and I'll be the greatest. And Peter says, I'm the one who walked on water. And John says, I'm the son of thunder. And they're all getting their juices going about who will be the greatest. But all of their arguments are based on human ideas of greatness. And Jesus just brings them right back down to ground. First of all, they didn't know he knew what they were talking about. So he says, what were you, what were you talking about? And, and, oh, well, a bit of this, a bit of that. And, and he, he knew they were talking about who would be the greatest. He said, the servant of all, the least is the greatest. But then he did something quite astounding. I want you to imagine the scene. He's there sitting and he's got his 12 disciples. And there's probably other people around listening. Some of followers of his and some are not. Some are just interested people looking in and they're looking at Jesus and he brings a little child in and he hugs the little child and sits the child on his lap as an object lesson. I don't know how old this child was, four, five, six, seven, I don't know, a tiny little child. And it's just amazing to me at how children responded to Jesus. They loved him. They would come and he would hug them. And sometimes the disciples stopped the kids from coming. That's what it was like. The kids wanted to mob Jesus. It just kind of gives us a new impression of what this guy was like. You know, the kind of person that kids would love to climb all over and be around. That's Jesus. And in this case, Jesus uses a little child as an example of what is great. And so I want to talk a very simple message today. The, the main point of the message is how do I be great in the kingdom and how do I even enter the kingdom? Because Jesus said that you can't even enter the kingdom unless you become like a little child. And he also said if you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be like a little child. So we're going to look at this idea of what is greatness and how can I enter the kingdom by being like a little child as opposed to being like a CEO, which is what the world says greatness is. You've managed to control people. You've managed to control circumstances. You manage, you're good at managing money. You're good at planning strategically. 
You're good at organizing. You've studied and you've got a good brain. You've got personal charisma. You've got experience. You've got family background. You come from the right heritage. Whatever it is, that's what the world says you need to be great. Jesus takes a little child, sits him on his lap, and says, you've, there's something you guys are all missing. You can't even enter the kingdom and you can't be great in the kingdom unless you become like a little child. I love little kids. My kids are now fairly big, and I love them at this stage, but boy, little kids, I just love them. They're so innocent and pure and fun-loving. <laughs> they just, it's just great. And, and trusting, you know, they look at you with those big eyes, and there's no guile, there's no hidden agenda, there's no manipulation, they're not trying to get something out of you. I can remember the time I was sitting at my desk working and my little boy came to me. He must have been three. I don't know, maybe not. And he, he came into my office, walked up to my desk, stopped me from what I was doing. And he looked at me with these huge big eyes. He says, am I really a part of this family like everybody else? I don't know why he... I don't know why he thought that, but I just hugged him. I said, of course, you're a part of this family. You're just like the rest of us. For some reason, he got this idea in his head that maybe he wasn't as loved, or I don't know what it was. And I just took him in my arms and hugged him and told him, yes, you're one of us. But that's what children are like. If they've got a concern, they just, they just say it. And they're completely trusting when you answer them. Their eyes are just open looking at you, and they say, yes, what you say is right. It's beautiful. Now... Let me be clear. Children are not perfect. Amen? <laughs> There's a lot wrong with children. And Jesus didn't say be childish. He said be childlike. There are certain aspects of childishness that are not for us. But there are certain key aspects of children that we must have to enter and to be great in the kingdom. And I just want to look at these. And I've narrowed it down to three things. Because my little brain can't really remember more than three points. So the first is playfulness and fun. The second is children are secure. They're secure in their family. You know, the number of times my children have done something wrong and they know they've been naughty, they've done something wrong and I've told them they're wrong and I've, I may have even disciplined them, but they never, ever worry that I'm going to kick them out of the home or that I'm not going to be their dad anymore or that they never work. They're just secure. They may know they've done something wrong and they may mess up big time, but they're secure that I live in this home. I'm part of this family. I'm going to get a meal when the next meal time comes along. If I need anything, it'll be there. I'm provided for. I'm loved. I'm looked after. They're secure. So they play. They're secure and they relate. They're all about relationships and getting close to each other and people rather than goals and strategies and, and something that has to be achieved. So that's all I want to look at today is the characteristics of kids and how we can be like that. But there's a lot that happened in this story on this day. So I'm going to just read you a few more verses. Um, Matthew 18 verse 3. Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humility, humbling ourselves, is very, very important to Jesus. 
Um, verse 10 of that same chapter, Jesus said, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And then Jesus told three parables, and you have to put Luke together with Matthew and Mark to get the three parables. But he told a parable about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. The parable of the lost sheep was, he said, a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes off and he leaves the 99 and he goes and searches in the mountains and the fields to find the one lost sheep. And when he brings it back, he rejoices. And he said in the same way, there's much rejoicing in heaven with the angels when one person comes back to God. Then he told a story about a woman who had 10 coins. She lost one and she called all her friends. And they started getting the vacuum cleaner out and doing spring cleaning to find her one coin. And when they found the one coin that was lost, way, they have a big party and rejoice and celebrate. <coughs> and that's, again, a picture of Jesus wanting to bring in the lost. And then he told a story which we don't often realize is together with these other two. The lost son. There was a man who had two sons and the younger son said, give me my portion of the inheritance. And he took the money from his dad before his dad died. He said, I'm not, I can't even wait for you to die. I just want your money. And he took it and he went and he lived it up and he wasted it. And when he came to his senses, he realized I'm living in a pigsty. I should even be better as a servant in my dad's house. Let me go back and repent and ask my dad to forgive me. He goes back to his dad and the Bible says when his father saw him coming, a long distance away, the father ran to him. And in Hebrew culture, old elderly men don't run. So he hitches up his skirts and he just starts running towards the boy. And he gathers him up in his arms. And he has a big party. He puts a robe and a, and a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. He kills the fatted calf. He says, whoa, the son of mine was lost, but now he's back with me again. And then there was something weird that happened with the older son where he was really put out and he didn't like the fact that the younger son had been welcomed back. And so the older son didn't come to the party, which is something interesting. Hopefully we can get to that today as well. But then at the end of this whole story, this whole event where Jesus calls the child and all of this happens with the 12 disciples, the others and the baby, the little child on his lap. Jesus tells all these stories and he says what's great and what's not great and all this. And then at the very end, um, Matthew 18 verse 14, it says, Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So the whole context, and I'm trying to put the whole story in one big context because it all happened at one time. Sometimes we talk about the story of the prodigal son or this or that, and we, we separate them out into little sub-stories. But it all happened at one time. The disciples saying, I'm the greatest, I'm politi political, I'm clever. Jesus calls a little child. He says, you've got to be like a child. He tells us the three stories, and then he ends off by saying, God does not want one of these little ones to perish. The whole thing with a child on his lap. Before I get into all the stuff about greatness and how we can be like children, I just want to make a point and I want you to please hear me. This story proves to me, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that a little child is with God. If they die, they go to heaven. There's just no question in my mind. He said that angels... Always see the face of my Father in heaven. You've got to become like one of them. 
God doesn't want one of these little ones to perish. And then he tells the three stories about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And all of them are in the context of a person who was with the father, a child, and a point came in their lives where they drifted away and they were no longer and they needed to be brought back and saved. This story proves to me, I don't need any other proof, although there is other proof in the Bible, much other proof. David, when his little boy died uh, in, in the Old Testament, he said, I will go to him, but he will not come back to me. Talking about heaven. Uh, Paul in Romans 7 says, there was a time when I didn't know about the law and I loved God. And then, and then I learned and, and I sinned and whatever. And he's talking about when he was a child. There's clear proof in the Bible that little children are saved. They don't need to get christened to be saved. They don't need to... to they, they are saved. They love the Lord. But a point will come where they become that one sheep who strays from the 99. I don't know when that point comes, at what age it happens. But at some stage, all of us go through a, a process where we go from innocent, wide-eyed trust and love and playfulness and joy in God's presence to being a, a sneaky, conniving adult. It's just the truth. And Jesus said, like the sheep that has to come back, like the coin that has to come back, like the son that has to come back, you need to come back to God and become like a child in certain aspects of your life. Otherwise, you're not in the kingdom. And if you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to keep those aspects in your life like a child because then you'll be great. Isn't that amazing? I'm just filled with wonder at God's kindness. He's just awesome. Also, before I go on, I want to just talk about this outward lookingness aspect where Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. God is not willing that any of these little ones perish. God is willing to leave the 99 to go and look for the one. Can I just challenge us, church, and as Christians, the natural adult tendency is this. Let's get in a little clique, a little club, where we know each other, where we're all the same, where we speak the same language, and the outsiders must stay outside. And Jesus said, I'll leave those 99 and go and find that one outsider. If we ever get to the place where we care more about our little holy huddle than the lost, boy, we've missed the whole boat. Everything, all the time. Jesus' whole heartbeat was about reaching the lost. I must go to the other city. I must go to the other side. I must go to the other sheep. He was always looking out to bring in the lost. And if we ever get so inward focused that we forget the lost, I believe we are the 99 that we don't have Jesus' presence in our midst anymore because he's out there looking for the lost. Okay. So let's talk about... Let's talk about these three characteristics. The first is play. Children love to play. There's a sense of fun about them. If you want to be friends with a child, you talk to them with a twinkle in your eye, you say something that could be mean one thing or another, and they get the feeling, this guy's playing with me. And suddenly you've got the child's interest and attention. You bring out something to play with, a game, way they're there. You say, let's, let's go and do something fun. Let's wrestle on the ground. Let's do. They're all about fun and joy and playfulness. And Jesus was obviously like that. 
Otherwise, they wouldn't have all, all the kids wouldn't have wanted to be with him. There's got to be a sense of play and joy in our Christianity or we're no longer like children. Can I just ask you honestly, my friend, do you enjoy being a Christian? Do you? I mean, or is it, oh boy, I'm going to go to hell or be a Christian, hell, Christian, hell, okay, take the lesser of the two evils. Or is there a, there's got to be some joy. The Bible says there is fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord. (laughs) I'm reminded of the story of David in 2 Samuel 6. He's bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God. God, the box, Ark just means box. It had the Ten Commandments and the manna and a whole lot of things. It was the presence of God in those days manifested in one article. And he was bringing it back to Jerusalem. And he'd made a mistake the first time. He hadn't brought it correctly. And so there'd been a blunder and they'd stumbled and somebody had been killed because they touched it wrongly. And so he... He left it at a guy called Obed-Edom's house. This guy, Obed-Edom, for me, is a wonderful story in the Bible. He's from Gath, which means he was probably not a Jew. He was a Philistine. And one day he wakes up and King David walks in and says, I'm just leaving this box with you for a bit. Is that okay? And it says for six months, the Ark of the Covenant was in his house and his house was blessed His crops were blessed. His children were blessed. Everything in his household was blessed. And then six months later, David comes back and says, okay, I'm taking it away now. But if you follow the story of Obed-Edom on, you know what? He doesn't just sit in his house and say, I used to know the presence of the Lord. He becomes one of the singers who goes in front of the ark all the way into Jerusalem. Then him and his 68 sons become singers and gatekeepers in the temple looking after the ark. And decades later, when Jerusalem gets invaded and they take the treasures of the ark in 2 Chronicles 25. I wonder if I can just read that to you now. It says this, 2 Chronicles 25, 22. Judah was defeated by Israel and every man fled to his tent. Joash, the king of Israel, captured Amaziah and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. And then verse 24. And he took all the gold and silver, all the articles that were found in the house of God with Obed-Edom. This guy lived in the house of God with the Ark of the Covenant for the rest of his life because he loved the presence of God. There was joy in the presence of the Lord. Anyway, so I was talking about David. He's bringing the Ark and the Bible says every six steps he would sacrifice bulls and he was dancing and whirling with all his might in front of God's presence. And his wife, Michal or Michelle or Michael, however you want to say it, despised him. She looked from the window of her house. You can read this in 2 Samuel chapter 6. She looked and she despised him in her heart because she said, this isn't what the Bible says. This is what Greg says. She said in her heart, he's being childish. He's not acting like a king. And so he comes in at the end of 2 Samuel 6. I'm going to have to read this to you because you might not believe me. It's just so beautiful. Okay. So... Then David returned to to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Has anyone got a wife like that? I don't answer. (laughs) Good job, buddy. 
Oh, you were really great today, weren't you? That's what she was saying. Verse 21. So David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you've spoken, by them I will be held in honor. And this next verse is quite chilling. It says, therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Therefore. You see, he was childish, rejoicing in the Lord. And she was adult. We've got to have joy. Amen? Amen? Our church should be a place of fun. If it's not... We've, we've gone off course. We've missed the plot. And someone must come to me and slap me over the face and say, Greg, have fun. We've got to. We've got to enjoy it. Otherwise, there's something wrong. Okay. Secure. The next thing about kids is they're secure. They never doubt, apart from the one time Matthew doubted, he's never doubted that he is a Donaldson and he will always be. It doesn't matter what he does. He can write with crayon all over the wall. He can put a nail through my laptop computer. He can do whatever he wants. He's still my son. And I'll look after him. And I may be angry with him for a bit and discipline him. But at the end of it, he comes and he curls up in my lap. Not anymore because he'll crush me. But when he was small, <coughs> curls up in my lap, puts his head on my chest, and we're buddies. And there's a trust and there's a security. Nothing will change the fact that he is my son. Do you have that? You see, as we grow up, we start to get into performance. When you're a child, you're secure with your dad. But as you grow up, if I haven't done X, Y, Z, arrived at this time and left at this time, achieved these goals and done this, this and this, then I'm no longer acceptable. And that is an adult way of thinking and that is not what we need in the kingdom of God. We should be able to say, my dad loves me. I, I've got his name. Nothing will change that. Nothing will change that. I can be as naughty as I want. Nothing will change the fact that I'm his son. And he loves me. And I'm secure in that. Isn't that amazing? Performance. Mentality. And then the last thing is there's a, there's a relationship aspect. Rather than trying to be a human doing, we should be a human being. I, I want to just be in relationship with God. It's not about trying to achieve. It's not all about goals. It's not all about have we done the mission. There's a relational aspect of being intimate and wanting to be close to each other. The one thing that really kind of summed this up for me was the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus said there was a king who went away far away and he called three of his servants together and he gave one of them five talents or pieces of money the other one two and the other one one and the guy who got the five talents was grateful and he used it and he made another five the guy who got the two used it and he made another two and for each of those when the king came back he gave them the same reward in other words, the one who got five, he said, well done, good and faithful servant, come in and share your, your master's happiness. The one who got two, well done, good and faithful servant, come and share. So they both got the same reward, even though, let me put this in human terms, the one guy was able to do good sports, be able to sing and play musical instruments, he was clever, 
He had lots of money, he came from a great family background. Those were his five talents. The other guy was good at public speaking and he had a nice face. He only had two, but they both used what they had as best they could relating to the master rather than looking at each other and saying, you've got five, I've got two, you've got one. I'm better than you, I'm worse than you. They looked at the master and they used what he had given them as best they could comparing themselves to him in his eyes, we're all just paupers. Five, two, one, what's the difference? It's nothing compared to how much the master's got. But I used it and I got the same reward. Whether I'm a five-talent person or a two-talent person, if I use what God's given me, praise the Lord, I get the same reward. The one-talent guy was fearful. And he compared himself to the two-talent and the five-talent guy. He said, I can't, I can't compete. I can't even play or sing or do anything. Or the, you know, I've got nothing to offer. And he buried his talent and he did nothing. And the master said, you should have at least put it in the bank and got interest. You should have, done, you should have compared yourself to me rather than to everybody else. That's a childish... You know, children in a family, they're aware. They might think, hey, I'm not as good at whatever as my brother or my sister or that other guy at school. But compared to dad, I'm a child and I'm loved. That's a childlike attitude. Instead of comparing myself to other people, I put myself in the right place with God. And that is humility. Humility is just saying, instead of comparing myself to you and you, I'm looking at where I am with Him. And that's humility. So what is our take home from this? I believe the answer, as a church, we need to put aside adult things that are religious things that are pretense and trying to puff ourselves up and make ourselves great we need to welcome and be outward looking and trying to welcome people and we need to be humble and real we need to be secure in our love of God and rejoice in our worship of God um, and we're not looking for title or promotion or position who cares if I'm the archbishop or the nothing I, I'm a child and I'm loved by God Amen? Amen? But that worship thing, friends, that worship thing. Can I just challenge us all? When was the last time you worshipped God like a little child, like no one was looking? Is that a challenge to you? It is to me. Because Jesus said, unless you humble yourself. You see, the problem, the reason we don't worship God with abandon is because of pride. <laughs> what will they think of me? But if I humble myself, I'm a kid in God's presence. I worship Him. I don't care what anyone else thinks. If I humble myself and I worship Him, then I enter the kingdom and I'm great in the kingdom. If I'm secure in my relationship with God, I enter the kingdom and I'm great in the kingdom. If I'm all about relationships instead of goals and positions, I'm great in the kingdom. Let's stand together. Maybe the musicians can just play something for us and as usual I'd like you to just please search your heart and say Lord what are you saying to me today let's imagine ourselves there in the scene Jesus is sitting there with a little child and the disciples jostling with each other for who's great which one are you today which one am I are you the outsider looking in are you one of the disciples are you the little child where do you fit in the story? And Lord God, today, I want to put myself on your lap. 
Lord, the disciples may have thought they were great, but they weren't on your lap. I want to be on your lap, Lord. Lord, I want to humble myself. Lord, I want to put aside the thinking of the world that tells me what greatness is. And I want to rejoice in my relationship with you. I pray that you would help me today, Lord, to make a marker in my life this day that changes the direction of my life. That I will no longer ever again think of myself as great because of what the world says is great, but because of my relationship with you. Lord, I choose today, I choose today to get on your lap and to be close with you and to rejoice in your presence. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.